man, aren't you glad you came to church today? Had a lot of good reasons to stay home, but here you are, and I'm glad that you're here, and uh, I'm excited to to share with you this morning. I wanted to open our time together uh, before we dive into the, the heart of the message and continue our series uh, to just walk through something that, that struck me this week as I was doing uh, my journaling, Bible reading and journaling. Uh, we've been pushing these journals pretty much all year. Uh, if you haven't picked one up yet, there are a few still available. We've got more on order, uh, but you can get these out in the lobby for about five bucks. Donation, if you don't have five dollars, don't let that stop you from getting one. But the idea is simple. We read uh, about a chapter, sometimes a chapter and a section from Psalms, um, and then you can spend a little time writing out a scripture verse that stood out to you from that chapter, some observations about it, some way in which you feel God might be applying that word to your life today, and then a short prayer. And so I thought, well, this would be a cool opportunity because this one stood out to me and kind of fits with the conclusion of our message that I would just share one of mine so you can see kind of how this works. And so uh, this one is called Being a Barnabas. This is what stood out to me as I read in Acts chapter 11 about Barnabas, and uh, that'll be evident to you as we go through this. But I wrote out verse 24 and 25 that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in the faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. This is talking about his ministry in Antioch. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. And here's what stood out to me. I've, I've often used and even mentioned in sermons this idea that I wonder who led Billy Graham to Christ. You know, if you think about the amazing ministry that Billy Graham had, somebody led him to Christ or led the person that led him to Christ. Maybe it was his parents uh, and so on. We talk a lot about... Paul, as the great evangelist and missionary that he was, but we often forget the pivotal role that Barnabas played in Paul's life and ministry, twice. Back in Acts 9.27, it was Barnabas who brought Paul to the apostles, and here he goes to Tarsus to seek him out and get him engaged in public ministry in Antioch, and the rest is history. Here's the application portion. We must never underestimate the power and impact of a little encouragement or seeking someone out and helping them take their next step. It's critical that we look for ways to do this for others and that we respond to the encouragement of others with faith and action. Here's the prayer I wrote out. Lord Jesus, please help me to be faithful to you when you call me to encourage others, and thank you for those who have encouraged me to take my next steps. Help me to lean into you today. And so that got me thinking about this idea of being a Barnabas, and and that's what I titled that entry. And so I wonder if you would take a moment and think about who's been a Barnabas in your life. When you think about somebody who came along, maybe at a pivotal point in time in your spiritual journey that encouraged you to take a next step, to take a step of faith, to take a step to trust God in some new area, to invite you to church or to invite you into a discipleship group or something. Who was it that that played a pivotal role in your life? And as you think about that, I can share a couple that really encouraged me to take my next step. One was my pastor back at the church in Casper. I've mentioned him before. His name was John Spear. And he, he encouraged me a number of different times. And one of the most pivotal was when he invited me to be a part of a Bible study that he was leading. And through that period process, I got discipled. Another was a man that I met at a sales training conference while I was selling insurance. His name was Randy Marshall. And he spoke a word into my life and basically prophesied that one day I would be a senior pastor speaking to rooms full of people about Jesus Christ. It was pretty powerful. There was a a guy that led a marketplace ministry um, 
I was selling insurance at the time, and, and I actually went looking for leads. Like, maybe there'll be some people there that'll buy insurance from me. And ended up giving me a love for the Word of God that I had never had before and I've had ever since. Uh, there was a man that went to church here at Linwood, and I didn't even know that before I had ever heard of Linwood. His name was Rich Morlock, and maybe you know Rich and his family if you've been a long-term uh, attender here. Well, Rich uh, and I, our paths crossed, totally independent of Linwood, and he encouraged me to take the step of pursuing ministry opportunities in the Wesleyan Church, and the rest is history here. And so there are people that have been a Barnabas to me, and I wonder, is there anyone that would tell the story someday of you being a Barnabas to them, of you encouraging them at a pivotal time, you encouraging them to take a next step. And I think we should all be mindful of who is a Barnabas to us, but also to whom can we be a Barnabas, an encourager. That name Barnabas literally means son of encouragement. In the Hebrew language, bar means son of, and the word nabas basically is translated as encourager. So Barnabas is literally a son of encouragement. And I share that with you as well because my desire is to encourage you in this series to take your next step. The series is titled, It's Time to Grow. And at the end of each message, I've asked you, what's your next step in discipleship or in evangelism or in worship or in fellowship or in ministry, which we'll be talking about today. And I heard a statement at a, at a big seminar recently, and it stuck with me. And at the beginning of the seminar, they said, guess what? This is not a jacuzzi. This is not an experience where you come and just sit and soak it all up. This is, this is an opportunity for you to engage. This is an opportunity for you to take action. And some messages, some series that I preach are a little more like a jacuzzi. And I get to play the role of a massage therapist and kind of rub your shoulders and, and help you, you know, encourage you just with the, the solid assurance that God is with you, that he knows, that he cares. And if you've been here for all six weeks of this series, you know that It's Time to Grow hasn't necessarily been the massage therapy jacuzzi version. It's been a challenge, uh, a challenge-oriented series. And I make no apologies for that. I feel like sometimes I get to be the massage therapist and sometimes I get to be a personal trainer. A personal trainer is somebody that you hire to yell at you when you want to quit so that you'll keep going, so that you'll make the gains that you want to make. And, and so maybe just think for a moment of this series as a little bit of a, of a spiritual trainer, that I get to be in that role. And if I'm honest, I like that role. I, I like encouraging people and challenging people. And honestly, I would rather stand before God at the end of my life and get the question, why did you encourage people and challenge people so much over and above? Why didn't you challenge people more? Why didn't you encourage people to take the next step? Why didn't you cast a vision for a life of impact and influence for my kingdom more? I would rather err on the side of challenging because we have each other to encourage and to rub our shoulders and to be our massage therapist and I still get to do that sometimes and enjoy that but if it hasn't become evident yet I really want each and every one of you to grow whether this is your first time walking through those doors or whether you've been here every week of this series and you've been here almost every week since I got here and you were here every week before I got here for years or decades, I want you to grow. I want you to take your next step. I want you to be on this adventure of following Jesus wherever he would lead you. I want you to grow and I want you to grow for you. 
I want you to grow for you, not for me. It's not about me feeling good. I used to be that guy. I used to be the guy that preached a message on evangelism and encouraged everybody to invite people and then was depressed for a week if nobody came the next week. Nobody brought in a new... I'd feel like I was a failure as a preacher and I hadn't done my job. Or I'd preach a message on stewardship and tithing and the offering would go down and I'd feel like I had just failed. Or I would preach on something and then look for the next week or the next two weeks to see if it bore fruit immediately and then feel terrible if it didn't. This isn't about me. I don't want you to grow for me. I want you to grow for you. And I don't want Linwood to grow for me, like I'm only going to feel good about myself if I'm a pastor of a growing church. I want Linwood to grow for Linwood to grow and for its impact to grow and for the people who aren't in here on a Sunday morning because they're not anywhere on a Sunday morning to be brought into a fellowship of believers. So this series has been sort of a vision casting uh, series and, and refining that, that vision. Uh, and it's come with a challenge to take your next step in each of the areas because I realized this morning that your next step might lead to somebody's first step. Your next step, you choosing to take your next step in discipleship or in evangelism or in fellowship or in ministry or in worship, you choosing to take your next step might help somebody take their first step. And that's a powerful thought because each and every one of you knows dozens and hundreds of people that I will never meet unless you bring them through these doors to invite them to church. Or I may never meet even because they're never going to come to Sioux Falls. But you have an impact on their lives through the relationship that you have. And there's an encouragement built into all of this to take your next step. And so today we're going to be talking about growing. It's time to grow broader through ministry. Broader through ministry. We've talked about these five biblical purposes that we find in Acts chapter 2. That, that ministry is one of those. That the doing of ministry. It's time to grow. And we grow individually broader through ministry. Our, our lives grow broader and they impact more people when we choose to do ministry in Christ's name, when we choose to be engaged in his kingdom, and that we as a church grow broader when we as a church do more ministry in the community, do more ministry to the people that come through these doors looking for a place to belong, do more ministry through the partnerships that we have, like John and Abby Van Persum, who were here last week, and we got to hear about what God is doing through them in Zambia, and we got the opportunity to partner with them. And today, at the end of the service, we're going to commission Keith and Sandra Nash, and they're going to be going back to uh, Nepal and to India to do the ministry that God has called them to do. And we have a partnership in that because we resource them and we pray with them and we participate in that and we grow broader when we do more ministry so we have this opportunity and before we get into any of the scriptures it's important to understand what ministry is because sometimes people get this idea that ministry is what pastors do and that that's a very limited definition of ministry ministry at its heart means to meet a need it means to engage in active service to another person It means to administer. In our Christian context, we administer God's grace to other people. And you don't have to have a degree from seminary or a Bible college degree to be a minister of grace into the life of somebody else. You can do it by praying with them. You can do it by serving them. Jesus broke this open for us at the end of his Gospels when he said, anyone who even so much as extended a cup of cold water in my name, you were doing that for me. You were meeting a need in my name. You were doing ministry. 
In fact, if you think about it at sort of a global perspective, uh, this idea of meeting needs, if you go to foreign governments around the world, a lot of times they'll break their government up into various ministries. And so you have the Ministry of Defense, and you have the Ministry of the Treasury, and you have the Ministry of Health and Human Services. In America, we call them departments, which you can say what you want about whether we're meeting needs or not. I, I almost didn't go down that road, but it's kind of funny to think about that in other places in the world, they have ministries that are designed to meet needs. And here in America, we have a department. Uh, But the the goal is the same, to meet the need. And we want to be a people who are meeting needs on behalf of Christ. So let's start in Acts 2, like we've done each week. I don't want to get derailed from that as we talk about ministry, because there's some tremendous ministry that's done right at the beginning of the church, right on the day of Pentecost. And from that time forward, when the church, the bride of Christ, comes into being, and uh, we see ministry being done through that. And so if you look at verses 43 and 45 of Acts chapter 2, it's page 1694. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. And here's what we read about the early church. We say, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Here's some more ministry. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And so they were doing miracles to meet needs, and miracles were being done through them to meet the needs of the people, and then they were selling their possessions and their goods in order to meet the needs of those within the fellowship. So there's a lot of ministry being done, there's a lot of needs being met. In our own context here at Linwood, our mission is to reach people for Christ because people need Jesus. When we reach people for Christ and we reach people who are far from Christ with the good news of the gospel, we are meeting a need in their lives. We are meeting an eternal need in their lives. And when we give them a place to belong, people need a place to belong. People need a place to be seen in a world that gets more and more digital and more and more social media focused. And people can spend days or weeks working from home on social media, never interacting with a human being. It didn't used to be that way. You had to go buy food. Now you don't have to go buy food. You can order it online and they'll bring it to you. And you can wait until the delivery man leaves and then go get it off your porch. And you don't have to interact with anyone, but people need a place to belong. And when we give them a place to belong, these people that have been reached for Christ, we're meeting a need in their lives. And the last component of our mission is to help them grow in their faith. That meets a need in someone's life because we need to grow in our faith. We need to grow constantly in our faith, in our trust, in our dependence upon God. And we do this all towards the vision of being and increasingly becoming a healthy family of families because people need a healthy family of families. You look out into the culture, the majority of people did not come from a healthy family. They need one. They need the church to be one. And when we provide that, and we reach out, and we give people a place to belong, and we help them grow in their faith as we be and increasingly become a family of families, we're meeting a need in someone's life. We are doing ministry. And so our bottom line today is that saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. Super simple, super easy to remember when you understand what you have been saved from. 
That you are no longer destined for an eternity in hell apart from God because of the good news and the grace of God extended to us through Jesus Christ. When you understand what we've been saved from, you want to share that with people. You will serve them in order to have an opportunity to share that with them and to share the love of Christ with them. And when we understand what we've been saved to, to an eternity in heaven, in God's presence, where there will be no tears, where there will be his light surrounding us as we worship him forever and ever. When we understand what we've been saved to, we will have a desire to serve people in order to bring them into that fellowship as well. Saved people serve people. And the early church wasted no time getting started. They immediately began meeting needs. And the miracles and the signs and wonders all throughout Scripture, miracles always meet a need. They're never done just to show off. Every miracle in Jesus' ministry, his ministry, his meeting of needs, met a need in someone's life. Somebody was blind. Somebody had an illness. Somebody was demon-possessed. And they needed to be delivered. They needed to be healed. They needed to be set free. And Jesus met those needs because his ministry was all about meeting Needs. I want to look at one story in particular. These are red letters right from the mouth of Christ. If you turn to Matthew 25, this is a parable that Jesus tells about doing ministry. Doing ministry. It's the parable of the talents. And last week when we were talking about worship, we talked about worship in regards to time, talents, and treasures. And I did short shrift on talents because I knew we were going to be talking about this this week. That we give God our first and our best of our talents, of our spiritual giftings, our abilities, our skills that are profitable to and fruitful for the kingdom. We are doing ministry. And so I'm going to read this passage of the parable of the talents, verse 14 through 30, pretty much straight through. And then we'll talk about a couple of really important principles or or points to understand from it. This is Jesus teaching in an extended teaching. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the one who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. And master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, those words we all want to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. But then the man that had been given one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has 
has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We really wish the last four or five verses weren't in that story, but they are. Which should add a level of gravity to the message coming from the mouth of our Savior. And so as we think about these verses, as we think, I want to focus on the talents and the use of those talents and really leverage the word, uh, the, the play on words between a talent, which represented something specific, but in our language represents a gift that's been given to us in the form of a spiritual gift, a skill, an ability, a resource, uh, and so forth. Now, a talent in biblical times, in the Old Testament, a talent represented 75 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold, right? You do the math on 75 pounds of gold right now. Gold's running about $1,800 an ounce. 75 pounds is a lot of ounces. It represents about $1.9 million in today's currency based on the current value of gold. Now scholars would tell you that it, it didn't equate to as much in the monetary because gold was the monetary system. So there's a little, you know, nuance there. In the New Testament system, uh, the Greek language, the Greek culture, uh, a talent represented 6,000 drachmas, and a drachma was a day's wage, basically. So it represented about 20 years' wages. So you can think about the average of your career and how much you've made in your career and multiply that annual average by 20 And that would give you an idea of what a talent would represent to you. If we just use minimum wage and say 20 years wages at minimum wage, based on, I should say not minimum wage, about $15 an hour, because you guys are all sharp people and and you make more than minimum wage, right? $15 an hour for 20 years would be $624,000. So even at a little bit more conservative, this is a lot of money. Like even the one talent servant, Probably got 600 grand in today's currency. That's a lot of money. And any way you slice it, everyone got a lot to work with. And each and every one of us have been given a lot to work with. We've been given relationships. We've been given spiritual gifts and abilities. We've been given talents. We've been given training and education. We've been given all kinds of things to use and to employ in the kingdom. And the correlation is strong to spiritual gifts and God-given talents and abilities. Now, two out of the three put their talent to work, and it bore fruit. It doubled. We don't know how long the master was away, but we know that in the time that he was away, the first two servants basically doubled, a 100% return on investment. But one out of the three hid it, and it bore no fruit. It simply returned what had been given. And that reminded me of a quote that I had read recently that I want to share with you. It comes from Paul David Tripp, who I quote often from one of his great works. Uh, it's a daily devotional. And if you, don't, if you don't do a daily devotional but you'd like to, uh, I would encourage you to get this one. It's called New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. It's phenomenal. One page a day. Great thought. Great food for thought. And here's what he said in a a devotional on this idea. He said, Many, many Christians' church attendance is the spiritual addition of going to a concert. They regularly go to experience the religious performance of ministry professionals, but they have little commitment to the health of the church or to its work in the world. Their relationship to the church is self-focused. Here's the kind of church I'd like to attend. And passive, saying, I'm so thankful for the good work our church staff does. But God's plan for the church is very different. 
He has called all his children to be his ambassadors, that is, to represent his message and his character in whatever environment he has placed them. Here's the plan. A God of grace makes his invisible grace visible by sending his people of grace to reflect his grace to people who need his grace. You have been called to be the look on his face, the tone of his voice, and the touch of his hand. You are to represent his presence and his love. You are placed where you are to make his mercy and faithfulness visible and concrete. That's why ministry matters so much. And the idea of personal ministry matters. And sadly, the ratios of the parable of the talents are reversed now. Most American Christians, it's not two-thirds doing and serving and giving and actively engaged. It's more like one-third are and two-thirds aren't. Now, maybe not at Linwood. I don't know what the ratios are. We've all heard the 80-20 rule that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And we can look around. In most cases, it might be an 80-20. It might be a 70-30. might be one-third, two-thirds. But the bottom line is that there's a lot of talent sitting on the sidelines in every church where people are not engaged in personal ministry, in leaning in and putting to work what God has given them. And these in the story were slaves with a master. They were supposed to be serving their master. And sometimes this idea that when I volunteer or when I do a little bit of ministry, I'm serving the staff. No, you're, you're not serving the staff. We're here. Our primary service as a staff is to equip the saints, that's all of you, to do the ministry, to do the work of ministry. It's not to do it all. It's to equip you, to train you, to help you, to give you opportunities to learn and grow in your faith in order to do that. And many of you have stood up and responded to that and are fully engaged. But you're not serving us, and you're not even serving the people you're serving when you're serving them. Ultimately, you're serving Christ. Ultimately, you're serving Him. And the, the engagement of your talent for Him is ultimately for Him, not for the people that benefit from it. And so as followers of Christ, our desire should be to, to serve wherever there's the greatest need. Wherever there's the greatest need, where we have a gift and an ability and a spiritual uh, passion that matches a need, that's called the sweet spot. That's when we are, are thriving because we're working. I look out and I see people who are engaged. They have a gift. They have an ability. They have chosen to engage that gift in ministry, whether it's here inside these doors or out in the community. And, and they're fulfilled. They're not drained by it. They're not tired at the end of it. They're excited for the opportunity to give and to serve and to be engaged because saved people serve people. And the outcome is that verse I pointed out. Verse 21, verse 23, they're the same, the same word for word in this passage. But verse 23, Jesus says, His master replied to the faithful servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. There is joy. There is joy in investing our talents, our gifts, our abilities, our strength in the kingdom. There's joy in that. Are we blessed because of our faithfulness or are we, blessed, are we faithful because we're blessed? That's one question somebody asked me one time. Come you, blessed of my father. 
Are they blessed because they were faithful or are they faithful because they were blessed? I think the answer is yes. I don't think it's either or. I think it's both and. Because I know in my life, when I have given a blessing or shared a blessing or intentionally been a blessing, I've received a blessing. Right? Faithfulness and obedience and putting both feet into the kingdom of God and giving our yes to God is its own blessing. We receive a blessing. When you share a blessing, you receive a blessing. And in my own life, I have found it to be absolutely true that when I have withheld a blessing, I've missed a blessing. When I have withheld a blessing that I knew I could give to someone else or done, I could have done something, I, there was no reason not to say yes, I had no good excuse, I've missed a blessing. I've missed the blessing of being engaged in service. I've missed the blessing of being engaged in the kingdom advancing through me. And so when we are faithful to share and to use and to invest our blessings into the kingdom of God, we experience more blessing and joy as a result. And it's not the prosperity gospel like, you know, give in order to get and sow $1,000 here and you'll get $10,000 there. Or give your church everything in your account and you'll win the lottery. No, I don't, I don't ever do that nonsense. It's not the prosperity gospel. It's the gospel of God's unmerited favor in our lives that when we get to give... Not give to get. When we get to give and we jump into that and we say yes to God, we receive a blessing as a result. And so as we come down to the conclusion of this series and this time to grow, we've been on this all year, basically. We started the first Sunday in January with a message on discipleship. That it's time for us to grow in discipleship because discipleship is the one thing that changes everything. And we're going to just pound away on discipleship all year. That's not going away because it's the number one thing that Jesus called us to, to go and make disciples. And we're going to be intentionally focused on that this year and every year into the future. And we talked about evangelism and this idea of found people find people. When we have been found by God's grace, we're excited to share God's grace with others. We're excited to find somebody who doesn't know the good news that we know and to share that good news with them. That's evangelism, being a messenger of God's grace. Then we talked about fellowship, that we really are better together, that when we link arms and we move together, we can accomplish more together than we could ever accomplish apart. That the sum of the parts is greater. That the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Sorry. That the whole, when we link arms and move together, is greater than what we can accomplish on our own. Last week we talked about worship. That Jesus is worth our first and our best. That that's really what worship is. It's worthship. It's assigning worth and value to him and saying, you're worth my first and you're worth my best. And I don't want to be guilty of bringing some lame offering I want to give you my first. I want to give you my best in my time, my talents, and my treasures. And today, saved people serve people. As we take our next step in each of these areas, as we think and we pray and we ask God to show us what that step is, the question is, do you believe all that? Do you believe that God has a next step for you to take? Because he does. He does. Each and every one of us have a next step. To take. That's our mission as a church to be a people who take our next step. And that's your mission as a follower of Christ to take the next step. And so I'll ask you again what I've asked at the end of each service what's your next step? 
And as you think about what your next step or steps might be, I would encourage you to approach it not with a I can't because mentality or mindset, but an I could if mindset. Not I can't because, I could if. Not I can't serve because, I could serve if. Not I can't give God my first and my best because, no, I could give him my first and my best if, if I cut the cable. I would have more resources in order to invest into the kingdom and give him my first and my best. There's a good example of that. Not I can't because I can't invite somebody to church because they might, I might lose a friend. No, I could if, and you go down that road. And so as we think about this, there are all kinds of resources available to you. I started looking at the announcements just in the bulletin and on the screens and realized that there are ex- Next steps for each and every one of us to take over the next four or five weeks, they're all lined up for you. They're all lined up for you. In discipleship, you can take the next step of attending the Disciple Maker training after church today. We've got about 12 people that have signed up, which is phenomenal, and I'm over the moon excited about it because that's 12 people that are going to come and learn and be trained how to take their next step in discipleship and start making disciples. That's one next step. We'll have enough food. If we don't have enough food, we'll get some more food. You can have my food. I don't care if you didn't sign up. Don't let that keep you from taking your next step. There's even childcare today. Sandy noticed that there were some people that signed up that had children, and so she said, why don't you just let everybody know that childcare is available. If anybody wasn't going to come because childcare wasn't available, they can come, and I'll take care of their kids. So that's an option. Evangelism, we're going to have Bring a Friend Sunday in about a month on March 15th. Everybody's going to be inviting people to come on March 15th. We're going to launch a new series that will take us right into Easter. And so you could invite somebody to come on March 15th to Bring a Friend Sunday, and you could actually bring them to church, and we'd have a full house. And I bet you a lot of those folks would stay for the next week and the next week, and they'd be here right through Easter. That's an example. That's an opportunity that you have. When we talk about fellowship, I mentioned it during the message that week, but it's, oh, we did that. Okay. I thought I had it wrong. All right. So there's all kinds of opportunities for fellowship. You just got to turn it. It's okay. Don't stand on your head to read the bulletin. But there's all kinds of opportunities. In fact, there's a game night fun night coming up at the end of the month. This is for everybody. This is for anybody who likes to play board games. You want some fellowship with your family, your family of families here? Bring the whole family. Bring yourself. There's no age limit on this. It's kind of like that Christmas song from 2 to 92. But whoever wants to come and play, we're going to meet in the fellowship hall. Bring a snack. Bring a game to play. We've got games here to play. Sit and meet somebody new. That's a great opportunity for some fellowship. There's a game night coming up. Worship, this idea of giving our first and our best. We've got 24 hours of prayer coming up in a month. So four weeks uh, out from, from, from right now, there's going to be a 24 hours of prayer. We'll start having sign-ups for that very soon where you can sign up for 15 minutes or a half hour or an hour or two hours. And there'll be prayer in this sanctuary from 6 p.m. on Friday night to 6 p.m. on Saturday night. And then at 6 p.m. on Saturday night, we're going to have a night of worship where this place is going to be on fire because it's going to be, have 
had constant prayer for 24 hours, and then we're going to have a night of worship on that Saturday night. So these are opportunities for you to take your next step in worship or to be engaged in worship and then ministry. My goodness, there are all kinds of ways to be involved in ministry. We have needs in children's ministry. We have needs in, in our worship team, especially on the back uh, end of things. So you don't have to get up and sing. You can, if you have a gift or ability with running technology and media and those types of things, we have opportunities to serve back there. We have a, fellowship, or a hospitality team training coming up in a couple of weeks. If you're a member of that hospitality team, ushers, greeters, um, coffee hosts, connectors, those, if you're, if you're one of those teams, we really want you there because we're going to be doing some training and we want to hear from you as you register. But if you're not on one of those teams and you're looking for a great way to get started in ministry, to get started, hospitality team is a great way to get started. So I would encourage you to put that on your calendar. Stick around after church. We'll have lunch together. We'll talk and do some training. Make sure everybody's on the same page. And, and it'll be a great opportunity for you to take a step into ministry. And if you want to hear more about any of those things, we've got a Next Steps class next Sunday. Next Steps class is geared to help you take your next step in whatever area that might be. And it's not just for newcomers. Sometimes we get that idea that the Next Steps class is just for people that are new to the church. Well, no. We, every time we've run that class, we've had one or two people who came who have been long-term members, but they're experiencing a change of life. They're empty nesters now. Uh, they've sensed God moving, asking them to do something new, and they come to learn about where they could take a next step that would meet a need in the ministry. So those are all kinds of phenomenal opportunities for you to take your next step. Because the bottom line is it save people, serve people. And if you're not engaged regularly in serving people, I really want to encourage you to take that next step. And we've talked about a lot of different things here. But on your seat when you came in, there was a Yes, I Will card. And it's on every seat, so that there's plenty if you want an extra one. What I want you to do is take this out, and I want you to ask God to tell you, to show you as you pray, as we close in prayer, to show you what your next step is. And maybe it's multiple next steps. Maybe maybe number of things have tapped you on the shoulder and said, you know, I could take a new step there. I could, I could be in, involved. Not I can't because, but I could if. Write this down. And if you're going to take a next step as a result of this message or this series, I want you to fill that out and I want you to bring it to the altars and place it in the altar as an offering to God. I will say to God, yes, I will, and you write out what you're going to do as a result of it. And so I hope that every seat is empty at some point in the next few minutes as people come forward. You can pray and kneel at the altars or along the steps here if you want to accompany that commitment with a prayer. You can come to the corners. Pastor Keith will be over here. I will be over here. Pastor Zach is back by the soundboard. If you need someone to pray for you and anoint you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the next step that you're going to take, then come and see. Excuse me, come and see us. We have anointing oil. We will anoint you. We will pray for the step that you're going to take. This can be a very powerful next few minutes in the life of this church as people respond in faith to God's word. I hope that each and every one of you will take the card out, begin to write what your next steps are, and then bring those to the front. And if you need another one there, all throughout the sanctuary, you can grab one in any of these areas where there's nobody sitting. You can pick up an extra card and write one to take home. Put it somewhere you'll see it. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom or put it in your car. Somewhere you'll see it and be reminded that you made a commitment to take a next step. You told God, yes, I will. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word.
We're so grateful for your spirit moving in this place. We're so grateful for the opportunity that that we have today to take a next step. For the opportunity that we have to say yes to you. To give you our first and our best. To serve people. To find people. To allow your spirit and your word to move into our lives and change everything about us. Because we are better together, Lord. We are better with each other, linked arms with you, as we advance your kingdom through our lives. Help us to be a people who respond in faith. Help us to be a people who say yes to you today. In Jesus' name we pray.